You are Locked On Bucks, your daily podcast on the Milwaukee Bucks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Welcome to Locked on Bucks. I'm Eric Name, Milwaukee Bucks supporter at The Athletic Wisconsin. And not joining me as always is my good friend and the founder of BrewHoop.com, Frank Madden. And bringing you today's podcast is Himalaya. You can get Locked on Bucks on the brand new podcasting app Himalaya, as well as Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. And when you get in your car, tell your smart device to play podcast Locked on Bucks. No Frank, and I had a busy Thursday, so this is... Getting recorded at 10.15 on Friday morning, but I thought all of you should have a series preview of sorts uh, for Bucks pistons before things actually get going on Sunday. Um, I know some Bucks fans are a little bit disappointed. They have Game of Thrones to watch. They want to watch the final round of the Masters. And I, I'm going to try to channel my inner Frank Madden here and say... What's wrong with you people? Use a DVR, something else. This is the playoffs. This is the best Bucks team you've ever seen in your life. None of those things should be a problem. So uh, just wanted to get that out of the way uh, at the start of this podcast. But joining me to fill Frank's space is my good friend from the pick and roll from ESPN Australia, where he was called a wanker by uh, <laughs> Stephen Adams. And I think I can say wanker in this podcast. Like, I don't think it's actually a curse here. Like, I think it's only a curse in Australia, I guess. Like, I mean, it's, it's not even. And I had, there was a few people sort of commenting on that article, not even knowing what W word was, <laughs> was, sent, was, was censored out. They're like, what, what is this word that they've censored out? But I, I don't know. I mean, they took the article, so I'm not here. I'm not going to... You know, be too controversial about this, but I, you know, I thought they could have let that slide. <laughs> yeah, uh, you showed me the interview last night, and you're like, "There's just wankers all over the place. Like they are flying all over the place because Stephen Adams is just that kind of dude." Uh, so if you want to check that out, go over to I don't know. It's on Kane's Twitter, which is at mke bucks aus. Again, mke bucks aus. The aus is for Australia. He's from Australia. If you didn't know, um, so Kane is here. We're going to try to preview this series, and um, I, I guess both Kane and I kind of talked about this a little bit before we started recording. But this Bucks team, and I, I really comprehended it yesterday. Um, and, you know, like as I was doing radio hits and, and stuff like that, where I, I couldn't bring myself to give the Pistons a game. And I, I, I talked about this last week, and it was just like, you know, like, since I cover this team, like, have I become a homer? Like, how do I try to, like, balance this out? But I just I keep looking at this team, and I'm like, they're really damn good. And then I keep looking at that Pistons team, and I'm like, you know what? They're it's great that they made the playoffs. Blake Griffin probably has a all NBA case. I think maybe he'll be third team on some ballots. Uh so he's had a great year, but like there's just 
not enough there for the Pistons. No, and Blake Griffin's the interesting one because if if the Pistons are going to have any chance at winning a game, then he's probably going to go off. But he's injured at the moment. We don't even know what his availability is going to be. And when I looked at the series, the four-game series through the year, I mean, he averaged 24, 8, and 7 in those games. I mean, he was putting up numbers. He was playing well. And they still really... There was one game that was close, but but the other three were, uh, you know, major blowouts. So I, it's it's hard to find any sort of avenue of positivity for the Pistons, which feels really weird. But also, when the Bucks have been eight seed in the past, you thought they had to be lucky to... I mean, this is this is 1v8. This is the way these, these matchups generally go. Oh, wow. I'm just looking at my Twitter feed right now, seeing a green Milwaukee River. It's freaking me out a little bit. I don't know how I feel about it, but that's okay. Um, <laughs> wow. But I, I guess it, it is kind of... some. One of my friends called, uh, called the piston spot the Herb Cole Memorial eighth yeah. seed, and it was like, yeah, that is kind of what it is. And I think with this Pistons team you look at kind of what they are, where the franchise is, they legitimately have not won a playoff game, not a, a playoff series like the Bucks. They have not won a playoff game since 2008. Like, that's that's what we're looking at. 11 years, and they haven't won a playoff game. And they've been to the playoffs. And, you know, they've just gotten swept in a bunch of these because, you know, they found themselves as the seventh seed or the eighth seed. And... You know, when I look at this team, I guess there's a couple things that stand out. Obviously, it's Blake Griffin. And I I just wrote this article uh, with James Edwards from The Athletic in Detroit that's coming out tomorrow, uh, Saturday morning, that will kind of preview the series. And, you know, we ended up talking about just the, the image of Blake Griffin, like in those final two games where... The second to last game, he couldn't go. Like he was playing, and then all of a sudden during the game, you could just tell that he couldn't go. And you know, there's just this like image of like him with like a towel over his head, like, and you can just tell this dude is just like, I've done so much, and now I can't take us to the finish line. Like I can't take us. Like these guys are gonna have to pick me up, and they did. Like obviously they had that huge comeback in the second to last game, uh, where they come back from like twenty two down. Ish Smith is former Buck. Ish Smith is strangely very good, and you know like that Blake is what they have going for them. Yeah, but I, it, it's it's this is this is a sad thing. I feel like this is the tale of his career. And he deserves a lot of credit, first of all, for the way that he has changed his game a little bit. He's not the high flyer he used to be. He shoots the threes. He does a lot of other things that have helped his body probably get through the season. But again, we get to the playoffs, and Blake Griffin is injured. And this is this is this was a story. This is why the Clippers were never able to do anything because between him and Chris Paul, they get to this point in the year, and they were always injured. Yeah. So I I really I do feel for him. He obviously, you know, as you said, has had a, a great season. And it's, it's so heartbreaking because he played 75 games this year. Like, he played, like, he was healthy for the entire season, except now. Like, and, and it's just brutal to watch. And I think the, the thing that kind of sticks with me, and, you know, I mentioned this the other night, but I, I don't know how the Pistons are going to try to cover Giannis. They went with Griffin a lot in those first four games, and... I forgot who I was joking with about this the other day, but like, I remember vividly in Detroit, 
Dwayne Casey was sitting there, first time they played there, and he was like, you know, we're going to have to have some people step in. You have to be willing to take it on the chest. That's what it means when you play Giannis. Like, you got to be willing to take that charge. You got to be willing to step in there. And, like, if you ever heard Dwayne Casey talk, like, that's the kind of thing that he just loves. Like, you know, giving that defensive effort, being willing to sacrifice for the team. And Blake tried it, like, four or five times on Giannis. I think he gets two in that first game, maybe three. Uh, But Giannis ends up getting five personal fouls against him. He's in foul trouble. And I just remember the pure joy on Dwayne Casey's face. Like, the second time he gets a charge, like, you can just see the pride in him on the sidelines where it was like, that was what I was talking about. Like, that's our best player. That's a guy that's had an injury history. That's a guy that people have called soft. Like, that's this guy. He's all those things. And he just stepped in and took a charge. And, like, as as we've talked about, like, that's not the worst strategy against Giannis. Like, trying to be very physical and then trying to take charges. Like, yeah, that that's probably a good way to go. But Blake's not going to be there. Like, and even if he is, he's not going to be 100%. So there's no way you give him Giannis duty, which means Drummond? Uh, this is this is the thing I've been thinking about. This is why I think the Pistons are, are going to find it so, di- and why they have found it so difficult against the Bucks. Because I, I think maybe they do go to Drummond, and I think a big part of that is because Lopez is. I mean, he has destroyed Drummond in these games this year. Because first of all, he takes Drummond out of the, the places he wants to be. He takes him out of the paint. Drummond doesn't really know what he's doing out in the perimeter, and he's just. Uh, I mean, he's completely nullified defensively. So, but then if you play him. On Giannis, and that's the path you want to go down. I think about how Gobert went when, when he was defending Giannis, did not go well. And I, when I think about the two defenders, and Drummond's a good defender, but when I think about those two, I think Gobert definitely has quicker feet. He's a better rim protector. So I, I'm like, if Gobert got played out off the floor by Giannis, then I don't think Drummond is, is the right option. So then, if I guess if Griffin plays, you do go back to him, but then Drummond is a non-factor with Lopez. It, it, there's so many things going on that I think make things difficult for, for the Detroit defense. Yeah, and you know I, I wrote that article at the Athletic earlier this week about like you know how to how you try to slow the Bucks down offensively, and like as I was starting to think through it, it was like you know there's some other ideas like okay maybe you sag all the way off Eric Bledsoe and dare him to shoot it, or you know you try to take Brooke, Brooke Lopez all the all the way out of the game by running him off the line. Like okay, those things are cute, but that's not the problem. Giannis is the problem. Like defending Giannis is what all of this is about and at the start of the article I I try to say this in you know like the least condescending way possible but like so say you want to put Drummond on him fine that's great Um, you do that you still need other defenders to do something like you, you still need other talented people to find a way to get stops and one you need a center that can actually handle that role like Embiid does a pretty nice job with it, and Yas puts 45 on him and 52 in the game before. Uh, Gobert, defense player of the year, Yas plays him off the floor. Like, Drummond just isn't that talented defensively. And then on top of that, like, there's, if you want to beat the Bucks and you want to slow the Bucks down offensively, you have to have multiple layers that can do something against Giannis. Like, it can't just be, we're going to throw the center on him, no help from anyone else, and that's going to be it, because... Giannis doesn't rely on jump shots. Like, he dunks 
everything. He shoots everything at the rim. So, you know, a lot of times when these strategies come down to, oh, you know, we're not going to let anyone else get anything. The superstar is going to have to score 50 to do it. Well, he can score 50 on 20 dunks. Like, that's that's what he can do where he just screws up the math problem, and he screws up the math problem in a way that no one else is really, aside from Shaq, ever screwed up the math problem. Like, we think of the math problem with Steph, where it's like, he's shooting these insane threes, you got to cover him 40 feet away, you got to do all this stuff. And Giannis, it's like, he's going to the rim. You have to stop him. And teams can't do it. Well... That's that's correct, and the, the the big thing with Giannis is, and I, I think if you go back even just twelve months, the, the the development he's made in the last twelve months of understanding the game and understanding what the opposition is trying to do to him has been pretty incredible to watch. So maybe twelve months ago, and and he had a great playoff. So it, I don't think the the Celtics, as good as their defense was, I don't, I don't think that they really slowed down Giannis. But there was potentially a thought that maybe you can just pack the pain and, and, and make the other guys. And obviously it's a different system, so that was that was probably something you could do. <laughs> but now, I, I just don't think that that's even a logical tactic from the other team because Giannis is going to understand what you're, gonna, what you're trying to do. He's just going to keep dishing the ball to, to open shooters all, all day long. They're going to be in good spots. They start hitting, the, hitting a few shots, and all of a sudden it opens up again for Giannis. Like he's, he's too smart now to, to get into those positions where he is just barreling over defenders over and over again. Maybe in the past that would have happened, but I think we've seen him get better at controlling that and understanding that maybe he needs to be unselfish for, for a little bit, or, or maybe he just needs to shoot a couple threes. And it is kind of funny to think through just his development of that. And, you know, think through last year how many times you'd be in games in foul trouble. Right. Like, you'd just be like, oh, well, you know, the Bucks are going to have to find a way to get through this without, without Giannis because he's got four fouls already or whatever it is. And, like, it just doesn't really happen with, it just doesn't really happen with him anymore. And, you know, that's a credit to him for not picking up the stupid fouls that he used to always pick up defensively. Like, he's gotten rid of a lot of those. And now it's, it's a spot where the fouls that he's going to pick up defensively are never going to be on, like, closeouts. They're never going to be on, like, going for steals. Like, it's going to be like, okay, you came to the rim, and Giannis, like, happened to get you. Like, that's, that's where the fouls are. So then if there is two charges in a game, like, he's not just right. – he's not screwed. He's not on the bench. Like, he's able to, to kind of handle that. And, you know, when you, when you think through that, like, if that's the case, if you have uh, – you know, a superstar that truly understands his spot. He understands how he's going to do things. He understands how to keep himself out of trouble. He understands how to put the other team in trouble. It's going to be a long day. Like, it just is. And you got to be so good for every possession to make sure he doesn't get one of those dunks that frees him up, that gets him going, that gets his team going. And it's just a really tough task. And I I don't think the Pistons will really be up to it. Um, let's look at... I, I guess there was one one thing that was kind of interesting to me. Uh, obviously, last week I talked a little bit about uh, all defensive teams for, for Bledsoe, for Brooke Lopez, for Giannis. And in talking through that, I, you know, I showed how a lot of elite guards in the league tend to struggle against Eric Bledsoe. Um, and obviously there are exceptions. And, you know, some guys were better shooting the three or, or whatever. But there's just kind of, to me, a pretty clear pattern that elite guards against the Bucks this year just didn't play as well as they typically play. And what is interesting to me about it is that, you know, maybe with like 
second tier guys, that's not always the case. And Reggie Jackson is a great example. Reggie Jackson is largely playing two and above his averages uh, from the field, from three, uh, points, rebounds, assists, like all of that stuff against Eric Bledsoe and the Bucks. Like he's about there. And I guess I'm just really curious to see if that is as simple as Eric Bledsoe, you know, maybe not caring quite as much because, you know, Reggie Jackson isn't someone to get up for, like Steph Curry is someone to get up for, like Kyrie Irving is someone to get up for. Like, I'm really curious if when you get to the playoffs now, it'll just be Bledsoe saying, like, okay, like, you know, I was screwing around during the regular season. Like, I know this is game time, and I'm going to take it to you. Because that, and this is a crazy thing to say, but that honestly might mean more for Eric Bledsoe going forward, how you can trust him in the playoffs, than anything he did in the regular season. Because we went into last year's playoff series against the Boston Celtics, and I couldn't think of something that was a bigger advantage for the Bucks than Eric Bledsoe at point guard. Going up against Terry Rozier. Bledsoe was playing the best basketball probably of his career in the final two months of last season. And you just saw it and you said, that's it. That's the spot. Okay, maybe those other guys will play Middleton even. And, you know, maybe they'll find a way to slow Giannis down a little bit. Like, whatever. But the Bucks have a huge advantage at point guard. And then all of a sudden, Terry Rozier, a bench guy, just kind of takes it to him. And... I, I, like I said, I struggle to say that, that it would be like a huge sign of growth, but I think being able to take an assignment against someone who is not one of the five best point guards in the league, that's not an all-NBA player, that's not someone that someone views as a star, like being able to just say, you know what, Reggie Jackson, I'm better than you, and you're not going to get that against me this year. Like I do honestly think that that is kind of like, a I don't want to say a big thing, but it is something. Yeah, I, if you if you're trying to find storylines or something that you think is important out of this series, I think Bledsoe is number one because uh, I that's that's exactly how I feel about it. He definitely plays up to the competition. Uh, I, I feel like when he plays guards that aren't in that elite category, he knows that he's better than them, and he sort of takes his foot off the pedal. I think yeah. that's I think that's what he does. So uh, when you look when you project forward at potentially who the Bucks might have and maybe it's Kyrie Irving in the second round and then uh, Kyle Lowry and then Steph Curry if they get that far then I've got no problem with Bledsoe playing against those guys but I will say that if he, if he doesn't have a good series here and Reggie Jackson gets a hold of him then that could be he could have some mental demons come back in so I think he needs to have a good series I think that he will be I mean the motivation is going to be there because he knows people were talking about this he knows what happened last year and he knows if he if he gets on the back foot against Reggie Jackson then it's going to everyone's going to be talking about that they're going to say that Bledsoe's you know going to be the thing that holds the Bucks back so I think he's well aware of that but I I think that this is if he has a good series then I think he's going to be fine the rest of the way and he's going to take the challenge. But he cannot let Jackson get in his head. And Reggie Jackson is a guy that will try and do that. Yes. He's a pest. He is. He's going to, he's going to try and annoy Bledsoe and Bledsoe has to sort of control his emotions. And, and I think the fact that the Bucks are going to be winning most likely changes that. There's, I don't feel like they're going to be under too much pressure in this series where Bledsoe should lose his cool, but that's definitely the thing to watch. It is. It is so strange to think about how good he has been this entire year. Like, he's just been fantastic this whole year. And yet, I think you do have to have these questions going into the playoffs because 
he, he just straight up shit the bed last year. Like there, there's really no other way to put it. Like Terry Rozier got in his head and he didn't. He wasn't playing his game. He Bledsoe just like wasn't himself. And again, I understand the, that throughout all of this, I've said, you know, the reason why I feel comfortable predicting the Bucks to have success is the fact that you know the best predictor of postseason success is regular season success like everything that we saw in the regular season should carry over but I do think in some ways Bledsoe is sort of an exception there just because he was so successful last regular season and then he had such a spectacular flame out last last postseason that that question still has to exist and I, I understand that you know maybe that's not fair but I do think like it just kind of in some ways lingers over this because you know as I, as I talk to different people and you know they ask the question like oh you know what what could go wrong for this Bucks team you know like what's their Achilles heel and you know the thing I keep circling back to is like okay all the stuff that worked during the regular season what if there's just a fatal like a fatal flaw that all of a sudden happens in the postseason and the Bucks can't adjust to it like I don't know what it could be yeah. That that's the tough part is like circling it, but you know, like th- we've seen stuff like this before, where you know you just don't match up with someone, right? Or you know, someone ends up falling apart in the postseason. Whatever it may be, like something like that is, uh, I don't want to say a catastrophic event, but like in some ways, like a catastrophic event does have to occur within the Bucks for you to really think that you know maybe the postseason doesn't go the way that that you would think it would. Yeah, and and that's funny because they've been so stable all year for, in every single way. The, the offense has been good. Uh, obviously, the defense had a few shaky moments, but for the most part, I mean, they finished number one in the league, so yep. you can't have too many complaints about that. The locker room, they've had no issues. The, the, the sort of the personalities in the in the locker room are very stable, but they do. If if you think about, uh, you know, who they have those those emotional players, and Bledsoe's obviously one. I don't know who else they have. Maybe Sterling Brown. Uh, yeah. Maybe he's a guy. Obviously, Lopez is pretty. <laughs> he he's pretty emotional, but he's not a guy that that you really think is going to lose his cool. So, uh, you know, from that point of view, maybe I I I don't know. I'm trying to think. Like, and if you're, I guess you're talking about the opposition. Maybe they find something in the Bucks sure. game. But I I again, I, I it would have to be something that would happen, and you'd be watching it happen, and you'd be like, huh, I didn't think of that because I, I've. I mean, we've watched every game. We've we couldn't have looked at this team any closer, and yeah. I I really struggle to think when people ask that question. Oh, how can you beat the Bucks? I'm like, well, maybe they miss shots. Maybe they're not healthy. I I don't know. I, I struggle to get beyond that. Uh, the uh, to me, the big thing is always they give up the most threes of anyone in the league. Like they give up 36 and a half threes per game, and they have this whole year, and they've still been the number one defense. So clearly the. As you know, Ben Falk has written about it at Cleaning the Glass. Like clearly, they're doing something right in who they're giving it up to, where they're giving up those shots. Like they don't give up a lot of corner threes. They give up a lot, a ton of above the break threes. And you know, like to me, it's just like as you think through any series, any team. To me, the the one thing that keeps coming back is just like okay, maybe they get pick and popped to death, and. A, a team finds a way that okay, you're gonna pick and pop Blake Griffin, and he hits a bunch of threes, or you're gonna pick and pop Blake Griffin, and then you're gonna turn that into a dribble handoff for Wayne Allington or something. Like the only uh, to me, that's the thing that keeps coming back. But 
the Bucks are just so good at the rim that you have to be spectacular from three because if you miss a bunch of threes and the Bucks get runouts, it's points. Like long rebounds for the Bucks are death. You are you are going to give up points in transition because no one in the league is better in transition than Giannis, and Bledsoe is damn good as well. Uh, he, he got he got rid of his turnover problem that he had last year, where he turned it over all the time in transition, and now they're just fantastic in that regard. So, to me, I, I think that's the thing that I keep coming up with is that okay, maybe the Pistons steal a game here because some game they shoot forty five threes, hit twenty of them. Or something like that, where you know it, it's just like a little bit better shooting night than they normally have, and they have very high volume. And then the Bucks don't play great offensively, and you know maybe that's maybe that's where they get a game. Yeah, and we, we have seen it, and I guess I'm taking it for granted that I, I'm just assuming they're not going to do this in the playoffs. But we've seen them coast, and maybe they coast in a game defensively. I'm talking about, and and that happens. Uh, I, I'm not really talking about further on in the playoffs when I say that the Bucks, you know, we're talking like they're just, they're going to win everything. I'm talking about this round with the Pistons, but I, I, the thing that will be interesting to see is, is the defense when you talk about where they start getting, you know, uh, and maybe an Al Horford or whoever it is. That's a guy yeah. I think we always think about, but, and then the Bucks maybe start switching, which we haven't seen a lot of. And then that'll be when you'll see whether a team can get a hold of them, because then maybe the pain opens up a little bit. Because the way we, we know the way they play defense normally, the pain is on lockdown, and no one yeah. can get in there. And they're willing to to let a team say, "Well, if you're going to beat us, you're going to have a, an outlier shooting night." But that'll be the thing when when the Bucks really get into a series and they're forced to do a lot more switching, and the defense is doing some different things. That's when you'll see maybe that they'll they'll have to work through some stuff, but. Um. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It's going to be interesting. I, I, I can't... Uh, like you said, maybe the Pistons go off one night. Maybe this series goes five. But I, I don't think I don't think there's any chance the Bucks are going back to D- Detroit for game six. Yeah, no, I, I, I totally agree with that. And in these situations, in a 1-8 game, there's always going to be... Or at least to me, there's always going to be the, the discussion of a sweep or a gentleman sweep where, you know, just in one of those games... Bucks don't give a shit enough, and I, I, I said this on the back-to-back podcast with Dave DeFore and uh, over at the Athletic, and I think Giannis is too much of a lunatic for that. Yeah. Like, you know, when, when you're thinking about teams giving away a game in the playoffs, like it starts at the top. Like it starts at, you know, your best player just saying, "Nah, eh, you know, whatever." Like I'm gonna jack up some more jumpers than I normally do tonight or I'm going to coast a little bit on defense and like I, I just don't think Giannis is wired like that like I think it, I, and I, I wrote this too but like after seeing him dunk on Alex Len and then shoot a three on Alex Len and talk shit to him down the floor it was just like this dude can't take nights off like Alex Len doesn't deserve that. He's Alex Len. Like, like, what are you doing, man? Like, he's below you. You don't need to send a message to Alex Len. It, but instead, he's dunking on him. He's talking shit. And it's just like, the dude can't take nights off. Like, he, that's just not how he's wired. And then you add to the fact that this is going to be a playoff game. And it's just like, I, I, don't, I don't see them taking a night off. And, and that's why I keep coming back to it. I think this is a four-game sweep. <laughs> yeah, I... I I already forgot about that Alex Len thing, but I, that's what the, I really wanted to ask you, Anas, after the game because I. But I don't think I could have, and 
you know, I think people know, like, sometimes uh, I'll, like, start laughing halfway through asking <laughs> the question. Like, it happens from time to time. But I was just, I wanted to ask him that and say, what, like, what is wrong with you, man? Like, just take it easy. Yeah. This guy's having a career night. He's probably feeling good about himself. Like, whatever. He's going to the off season. Maybe he's not in the league in a couple of years. Like, you know, I, I but I, he, you're right. He's, he's crazy, man. He, he doesn't. He doesn't take a backward step from anyone. So, yeah, I, I don't think if he does that in game 81, was it? A game 81 <laughs> against like one of the worst teams in the league, then I don't think game four with the Bucks up 3 nothing in the playoffs, he's going to he's gonna chill. Like He's going to go out and try and destroy someone. Like It's just not how he's wired. And, you know, then you, you have that, and then you have a guy like Bledsoe who feeds off energy like that. Uh, you mentioned Sterling Brown who does that as well. And like you just have a... a Brooke Lopez, who thinks he's never going to miss a shot. Like, you just have a team of... And I haven't even mentioned Chris Middleton, who's a human flamethrower last playoffs. Like, you just have a bunch of dudes that take this shit serious. And I will say, like, if there is one thing that, you know, going into into this playoffs, like, I think a lot of the times, maybe not in this series, but in a different series, like, you know, like, teams have off nights and... I think with seven games, you can kind of just think like, ah, shit, you know, we just didn't have it tonight. And, you know, I don't want to say you throw the towel in, but, eh, you know, maybe you're like, whatever, it's it's game three, we were supposed to lose this game, whatever. Like, I don't think this Bucks team has that. Like, I think every night they are going to go after it and just kill themselves to win every single game. And, again, maybe that isn't smart when you have 16 games to win and they're all seven-game series, but... I do think that is one thing that is really going to come across uh, during this playoffs is that, you know, th- there was all those people on the outside that said, oh, you know, the Bucks are really going hard for, for the 60 wins. And it's just like, I don't think you've seen them do that quite yet. Like, you- you're going to add some minutes to the rotation for all these guys. Probably once you get to the second round, I think Bud will probably keep his rotations pretty similar here against the Pistons. Um, but, you know, you're going to see them kind of get into a mode where it's just like, okay. Like they, I don't want to say they flipped the switch because they play hard when they play, but I I think there's still probably another level for them. Yeah, I mean they can't. I I think I, I tweeted the, the the minutes the other day, but I think Middleton's played something like 550 less minutes than last se- last regular season. Giannis was a high 300, so um, fatigue is not going to be an issue for these guys they've been well rested their minutes have been way down so the only thing will be like can they handle getting right up a little bit right yeah but but even that i don't think it's gonna be a problem well the big thing with the playoffs is and we we was talking about this yesterday is the the scheduling is incredible i mean i i don't like two days off between almost every single game uh these guys are going to get a lot of rest they could they can play 40 minutes and have two days off like they're going to be just fine so i think the other thing is with this bucks team this isn't this isn't lebron in in the first round who has been here and got through the 12 years in a row you know that they haven't got through the first round and people are talking about that and they're aware of that so there's not gonna that's another reason why i don't think they're taking the foot off the pedal because they know that people are gonna if they lose a game people are gonna question them so yeah, I I think as Giannis is already, you know, as competitive as he is, but I think the whole team just wants to get this first round over with and, and move on, and then they can sort of throw that away. No one can bring that up anymore. They've done it. They've won a series, and then just get on with it. Sweet. Yes. Okay. I say the same thing. That is going to be it for us for today on Locked On Bucks. A reminder. 
To get this show every day, subscribe to Lockdown Bucks on the new Himalaya podcast app. In an ever-expanding podcast world, you need Himalaya with their personally curated playlists and new features every day. Download Himalaya at your app store and subscribe to Locked on Bucks. A big thanks for listening, and a big thanks to Kane Pittman for stopping by. Uh, shout out to Frank Madden, who I can only... Im- I'm, I'm excited <laughs> for this. I'm excited for Sunday to happen. To record the podcast, I think Frank will probably have to watch Game of Thrones after the game. So, record around ten or ten thirty, and I'm just curious to see how much adrenaline Frank has, like how how ready he is. Like, I I'm terrified for Frank during this playoff run because I can sit here and say, you know, the Bucks are going to win by a bunch, but like my fan like rooting interest is gone like frank's is not like he is going to be on pins and needles and i'm excited to hear um you know what it looked like in the madden household i might have to text his wife who's a rockets fan and see if i can get some inside footage of frank freaking out as as the game goes on but uh it should be a fun time bucks pistons gets underway 6 p.m sunday night Game one. Should be exciting. We'll talk to you after that. Remember, you can subscribe to this show on the new Himalaya Podcast app as well as Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. And when you get in your car, tell your smart device to play it. Podcast Locked on Bucks. Thanks so much for coming along. We'll talk to you on Sunday.